Have you ever wondered where numbers come from and why we write them in the way that we do? It's so easy to take them for granted, but in fact it's taken tens of thousands of years for numbers to develop and many different cultures have been involved. Hilary, the course team chair, is here with me to talk about the history of numbers and how people have thought about numbers through the centuries and developed different ways of representing them in writing. When I first learnt about numbers as a child, the first thing I did was learn how to count. I mean, is that actually what happened historically as well? Well, counting is certainly a very important part, um, as people do need to record sort of how many animals they've got and so on. And you can imagine, initially, people would probably use the fingers or parts of the body to keep a note of how many different things they had. And that has actually occurred all across the world, from Greenland to New Guinea to Africa and so on. So, yes, counting is a very important first step. But the thing about counting with parts of the body, like your fingers, there's no record of that. So what's the first record we have that somebody was actually counting? Well, the first piece of evidence is really a bone which was found in Central Africa at a place called Ishango, and it's known as the Ishango bone for that reason. And on there, there are marks made in lines that are actually grouped together in particular combinations, and historians feel that that is evidence that people were interested in counting that many thousands of years ago. So what you're saying is it's not the fact there are scratches on this bone, it's the fact that they're in groups and it looks like there's a pattern that means someone must have been thinking about the numbers when they made the scratches. That was 20,000 years ago. I mean, what happened next? Just making scratches on bone doesn't take you very far. What's the next step that we have on record? Well, there is a limit to how many numbers you could record in that way. And the next main development actually happened in the Middle East about 12,000 years ago, where people decided to use small clay tokens to represent numbers. So, for example, a small cone would represent the number one. So if you had four goats, you would represent that by the four small cones. So these were a bit like counters, so they're small enough to hold in your hand. And if you wanted to trade your goats, you could take four of these little clay counters along and trade with those. And they also had other tokens of different sizes and shapes to represent other numbers. So, for example, a large cone would actually represent 60. And if that large cone then had holes in, it would represent the number 3,600. How would that work if you had different numbers? Well, then you would have to combine the small and large cones. So, for example, if I gave you two large cones and three small cones, the two large cones would represent two lots of 60, which is 120, and then the three small cones would be another three. So, altogether, that would represent 123 Oh, right. So instead of having a lot of tallies, really all you have to do is have a handful of these clay tokens and actually you can represent some pretty big numbers with them. That's right. And that's why it was important to have different cones to represent different amounts because obviously if you were, were trying to represent a number like 123, the last thing you'd want really is 123 small cones. But that's still not writing anything down, is it? It's still just having collections of cones. I mean, they, did they ever write anything down about this? 
Well, they did, but it actually took another 5,000 years. What actually happened was when they were doing trading, they would put the cones into jars to keep them safe as a record. But as I'm sure you can imagine, people could lift cones out or put extra cones in. So it wasn't a particularly secure system. So rather than just putting things into jars, they then decided that it would be safer to enclose the tokens in clay and then people couldn't take them in or out. But there was a problem there because once they'd covered them in clay, they couldn't tell what was actually inside. So at that point, they decided to make marks on the outside of the clay to show which cones were inside. And from that, it was only a small step to decide to record those marks actually onto a clay tablet, and that was the beginning of recording numbers and really the beginning of writing. The thing that puzzles me in all of this is that they're using 60 for their counting. They're going from 1 to 60 to 3,600, which is 60 times 60. But we use tens as our basis, so that does seem a bit odd. But if you think about how we measure time, we still use a base 60 system in that we've got 60 seconds in a minute and 60 minutes in an hour. The other reason for using 60 is that you can actually divide a lot of numbers into 60 easily. So it would have made some calculations easier. Yes, because it is quite handy when you're dividing an hour into minutes because you knew half an hour, quarter an hour, 20 minutes, whatever you want to. It divides quite well. That's covered different sorts of counting. But what about if you wanted to talk about parts of something, say fractions? What happened there? Well, there we need to move across to Egypt and see how the Egyptians were using number. And they were very interested in building and measurement. So they started to develop the use of fractions. And we actually know this from an old papyrus called the Rhind Papyrus, which is currently in the British Museum, which shows some of these fractions and other numbers on it. But papyrus is a form of paper because I was wondering about how these records have actually survived as well. It is very fragile, and there is the Rhind papyrus and also various other documents that historians have been able to decipher. This papyrus explains a lot of how the Egyptians were using number, in particular the ways of calculating by doubling and halving numbers, but also how they used fractions. And the fractions that they tended to use were what we call unit fractions, which is just where you have one part of a whole, like a quarter, a half or one third. And they would use those fractions to build up other fractions. So if the Egyptians just used fractions which only had one at the top as unit fractions, how did they handle a number like three quarters? Well, there they would just add unit fractions together to make the fraction they wanted. So, for example, if you look at three quarters, you can think of that as a half plus an extra quarter. So they would have expressed three quarters as a half plus a quarter. Oh, I see. So all they do is keep adding together small fractions until they get the large one that they need. That's right. And they would have used documents to help do that. Where did our modern numbers 1 to 9 come from? About 2,500 years ago in India, they started to use the numbers 1 to 9. But it actually took another 1,000 years before 
they use them in the place value system that we have today. What's the place value system? That's just where the position of the digit represents its value. So, for example, if you look at the number 23, that means two lots of tens and three units. One of the first places that this place value system was actually recorded was in 458 AD in an Indian book on cosmology, um, which, which was called The Parts of the Universe. And there they wrote down the number 14 million... 236,713. So that's really the oldest record of a number that's written in a modern way. That's right. That sounds very advanced with what we've been talking about so far. I mean, how did they use this number system? It enabled them to write down all sorts of different numbers, some very big numbers, and that helped them in all sorts of calculations to do with measurement, the earth, and so on. Once we have the digits 0 to 9 and the place value system, somewhere along the line somebody must have put a zero in because if you haven't got any hundreds, you've got to put a zero in that column. So did that happen around about that time as well? That's an essential part of the place value system because if, for example, in a number you don't have any hundreds, then you do have to put the zero there to ensure that the other numbers are in the correct columns. But the thing is, you're talking about this being developed in India, but we call the numbers 0 to 9 Arabic numerals. So what's happened there? As people realised how useful they were for calculations and so on, the numbers did spread across to the west, and they reached Iraq and Baghdad in about 800 AD. There, there was a mathematician called Al-Khwarizmi who started to use these new numbers, and actually wrote a book explaining how to add and subtract with the numbers. He went on further to develop all sorts of other mathematics, like what we now know as algebra. And that area became another centre of mathematical development, in addition to the Indian centre. So what we're really saying is there are two major cultures which contributed hugely to the development of mathematical ideas, because we're going way beyond numbers for counting here. I mean, algebra is actually an Arabic word, so it's being carried through into our modern language. And the Islamic world actually has made a huge contribution to mathematical thought over the centuries. It was so important that Al-Khwarizmi's book was then translated into Latin, and that's how the use of the number system spread across to Europe. Now you've mentioned Latin, I want to ask about Roman numerals because we see them on carvings and on walls all over the place. How did the Romans cope with MCXV when they did any counting? Well, if you imagine trying to do any sorts of calculations with Roman numerals, it's very difficult. So they only use those numerals on documents and buildings and so on. When they actually had to do any calculating they would use a counting table. Nevertheless, the Roman numeral system did exist for thousands of years and it was what people felt familiar with. So when the new Arabic system or Indian system arrived, there was some resistance to using it. One of the most important developments there was actually by an Italian mathematician called Fibonacci and he also wrote a book that described how to use 
the Arabic number system, which helped people to get to grips with this new form of calculating. And someone told me that actually that was one of the most popular books in its time. I mean, it could be seen as a mathematical bestseller in its own terms. Because it was so useful, because it enabled people who were trading to do the calculations quickly and efficiently. What intrigues me is that Roman numerals have still survived for monuments. And if you look very carefully at the end of a television programme or a film, they're still used for the copyright date at the end. Which just shows the dominance that they had and the resistance to change. So what we're saying here is really the, the history of the development of number and mathematical ideas has started out with counting and people wanted to do practical things. And then as writing developed, they found new ways of representing numbers and then started solving problems with them. So all of these cultures that were trading with each other over thousands of years have swapped ideas, found different ways of solving problems, and that's how the maths has developed. But is the story continuing? I mean, what about more modern ideas like negative numbers? Well, negative numbers first arose in trade and so on. But when people first started to use them, they found that it was a very difficult concept and actually referred to them as fictitious numbers because they were so difficult to understand. And it wasn't until the 1800s that negative numbers were really placed on a firm footing. So they really are quite a recent development. So that's only 200 years ago, which is hardly any time at all compared with some of the dates we've been talking about. Is that the end of the story? Have we stopped doing more new numbers now, or is there anything else? The story is carrying on all the time. I mean, if you look back to the history, numbers have developed as people have needed to solve new problems. And some of the developments that we've got now are things like the binary system, because at the moment our society is dominated by computers and they use the binary system, which just involves two digits, zero and one. So in a way, we've come from a a base 60 system to a base 10 system and now we're heading towards a base 2 system. The other development is for looking at numbers which are infinitely large or infinitesimally small and mathematicians this century have been researching into this kind of number which is known as the hyperreal numbers. So we're going to continue to develop new numbers as there are new problems to solve, that the story never really quite comes to an end. Well, that's the excitement of mathematics. As you've said, when you have a new problem, you've got to find new ways of dealing with it. Who knows where it will lead in the future? From the Open University... For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.